We've been in a series called Undefeated. Undefeated. We like the idea of living victorious lives. It's just the problem is too many Christians don't live that way. We live as though we have been defeated. At least that's how we look. I mean, some people, they, they, they come to church and look around and go, man, these people look like they lost the Civil War. Uh, and the reality is, no, we didn't. We have the victory in Jesus. In fact, that's been kind of our banner verse. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says it this way. For every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. Two very important words in that short verse, that we defeat this evil world. And we don't do it in our own strength. How do we do it? We have the victory through our faith. Our faith that is in the God who is the God of the impossible, the God who is the victory. In fact, the God who already won the victory established through the cross of Christ Jesus. So we are victorious. So it's time to start living it. In fact, that's been kind of our big idea this whole series. It's time to start living out our God-given, Christ-enabled, Spirit-empowered, victorious life. And some of you are beginning to warm up to this idea. That you don't have to be defeated. You don't have to live in the sense that you've beaten down. And that's exactly where the enemy wants you to be. He wants nothing more than a church that feels defeated. But we don't live that way. We are super conquerors. In fact, that was the first point we learned about in this series, Romans chapter 8. We are more than conquerors. We are super conquerors. Then we talked about why then, if we're to be conquerors, then why does God allow temptation? That, that very thing that seems to defeat us, why does he allow it? And we talked about why God allows temptation. In fact, last week, Pastor Stephen, thank you for preaching in my absence. Uh, last week talked about how to overcome temptation and that we have the victory to do so. And so if you missed any of those previous messages in this series so far, you can get those off of our website as we make those available. Or you can also use that new app you can download to your smart device. And those messages will be automatically pushed to you on your smart device as well. Well, there was a little boy who decided to go out and play baseball, uh, but he was alone and probably played baseball like some of you did when you were kids. He had his bat and his ball. The bat was in one hand, the ball in the other. And he threw the ball in the air and shouted out, I am the greatest batter in the world. And he swung to hit the ball and he missed it. He picked that ball up again threw it in the air, I'm the greatest batter in the world, and he swung, and he missed that ball again. One more time, he grabbed that ball off the ground, he threw it in the air, and he got all the gusto he had in him to hit that ball, and he swung, and he missed. Strike three. He was out. He looked that ball on the ground, and then he smiled, and he said, you know what? I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. I like the way he thinks. In fact, it kind of reminds me of a verse from Proverbs. In fact, it's Proverbs 23, 7. In the New King James Version, it says it this way, that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And here's the question for today. What, what do you find yourself thinking about? You know, we all have thoughts. They come to us in rapid fire daily. But what do you find yourself thinking about? In fact, if someone were to take inventory of your thought life, what would be the most common theme in your thought life? What would be the most common category that your mind goes to? Because the reality is there is somebody who is taking inventory of your thought life. And it may not be you, but it is 
revealed to us in Scripture. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10, the prophet says it this way, For the Lord, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. To reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. And it was David who said this, you, the righteous God, who probes minds and hearts. And again, David said in Psalm 139, verse 2, you perceive my thoughts from afar. So the Lord is searching and he's examining and he's probing and he's perceiving your thoughts. And the question is, what does it reveal about you? What does it reveal about what you spend your time thinking about? You know, one of the areas that I have felt challenged, especially this year, as the Lord has challenged me, is to become a better steward of my thought life. Because I think all of us as Christians need to pay attention here. You might be a very great steward in giving to the Lord. You might be faithfully giving your tithe or giving online, or you might be faithfully serving the church, and and you're stewarding your talents and abilities for his purposes, but not many people do a good job stewarding their thoughts. See, God gave us the faculties to think, to reason, to ponder, and he has given us then, with that, the need for us to learn how to steward our thoughts. Because a growing concern that I have about Christians today is that many of us think in unbiblical ways. We think very worldly. And our souls may be saved, but our minds think unbiblically. For example, maybe some of you have self-condemning thoughts. Or maybe you have defeatist thoughts where all you talk about is what a loser you are, how bad you are, how life is, is terrible. For others, maybe you have thoughts of uh, lust and sexual fantasies that play over in your mind. Or there's fear. Maybe you have fear about the economy, or you have fear about the government, or maybe when you think about the government, maybe you have anger about what's happening. Maybe you have anxiety about work. Maybe, Maybe you have contempt for other people that you hold in your mind. See, the mind truly is a powerful thing. In fact, Frank Outlaw, a minister, once said it this way. In fact, how would you like to have that name, Pastor Outlaw? Wouldn't that be just an awesome name? (laughs) Who are you? I'm Pastor Outlaw. (laughs) Anyway, uh, he says this, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. So what leads to your destiny? Your thoughts. Why do we not steward our thoughts? See, the truth is, a lot of us, maybe if we're honest, we don't like where we are in life right now. And can I just tell you that it is thinking that got you there. It is thinking that got you there. So if you don't like where you are, you got to backtrack a little and look at the thoughts that you think, because your thoughts become you. In fact, your attitudes define you. Your mental habits will end up shaping you. And what's going on in your head governs what you do and and how you live. In fact, that psalm or that proverb really is true. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Let me give you an example. How many of you remember, um, actually, I won't give you this example yet. I'm getting ahead of myself. Instead, I want to say, as we continue this series in Undefeated, I want to talk today about one of the most vulnerable areas that all of us deal with, and that is our thought life. And I want to challenge you to mind your mind, to mind your mind. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. 
Colossians 1.21. Paul is dealing with an issue that many of us have felt. And maybe you feel this way right now. So please pay attention if this is the way you feel. But in Colossians 1, he says this. Once you were alienated from God. In fact, you were enemies. Where? In your minds. Because of your evil behavior. See, we've all been there before. We have felt alienated from God. In fact, maybe you came to a church and you felt a million miles away from God and the preacher preached about Jesus and grace and you had all of a sudden this longing to not be an alien any longer. But it was your thoughts, the way you thought. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. That kept you as an alien from God. See, what alienates us from God is evil behavior, but what's behind that evil behavior? He gives us a context. It's not just the behavior. It has an origin. In fact, the context is the landscape called our mind, and it's in that landscape that a great battle takes place every single day for every single one of us. In fact, rebellion against God, first and foremost, is a mind game. When we rebel against God, it's a mind game. There are thoughts and attitudes and, that are in your mind and in your heart that are producing this ability to keep you, you alienated from God. So if you feel today like God is a million miles away, then you've got to begin to check into your thought life. What are you allowing your mind to think on? That's why Jesus so masterfully taught in his Sermon on the Mount. You might recall that when he was preaching, he would refer to the Old Testament. Well, of course, to him, it was just the Testament because there was no Old Testament when Jesus preached. It was his Bible. And he would say things like this. You've heard that it was said, do not murder. That's a good thing, right? I think that's all healthy to not murder. He says, but I tell you that if you have anger in your heart toward a brother, that you've basically sinned. Wait a second, Jesus. He also wanted to say, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery where? In your heart. What is Jesus doing? He's dealing with behavior, but he's pushing where the origin of behavior is, which is within the person. He addresses the behavioral by going to the psychological, to the mental, to the spiritual part of who we are. We call it the soul. That which is a part of us that perceives, that thinks, that that acts, it all starts here. And so Jesus knew the issue just wasn't the way you're behaving It's the way you're thinking because thought leads to behavior. So Jesus pushed the issue to the inside, which starts with the way that we think. And he was basically saying, you need to mind your mind. You need to mind your mind. Stop thinking the way you're thinking and start thinking the thoughts God wants you to think about. Now, let me give you an example. Some of you enjoy riding bicycles. I enjoy riding a bicycle occasionally. Maybe about annually. Uh, (laughs) But how many of you remember when you learned how to ride a bicycle? I can still see it vividly. Vividly today as I could the day I rode my bike for the very first time. And as you learned the skill of riding a bike, there was one thing that you discovered was tricky about riding a bike. And that was that when you turned your head to look somewhere, what happened? Your bike went with the direction that your head turned. In fact, I, I, that's why I give bicyclists plenty of room on the road, especially kids, because they look to see who's coming behind them, and guess what happens? Their bike goes right into the roadway. 
It's an interesting phenomenon that our body moves the direction that our head is turned. And I think we can apply this same principle to this issue of our mind. That our body goes the direction our mind leads. And so many of us don't like the direction that our body has been going. We don't like where our life has been bringing us. And oftentimes it's because we've had our face or our mind set a certain direction. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I want you to grab your Bibles or your smart device. Of course, like I already said, the notes are available in our Neighborhood Church app, or you can also use the YouVersion Bible app where you can interact with the scriptures and the notes. I would encourage you to do that. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the seat in front of you. That's our gift to you. Please take it. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is dealing with a very... Um, big issue within the church of Corinth. They are, uh, for the most part, Corinth is a very, very um, kind of pagan community. Um, they worship a lot of different gods, and one of the gods they enjoy worshiping is a god where you worship through sexuality. And so you could almost understand it's very, almost like American in the way that they think. We've elevated sexuality so high here in, in our country. And he's dealing with some issues in the church, and he centers his introduction of his conversation to the church around this idea of the spirit-controlled life. Let's look at it. He says that we do, verse 6, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However... As it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Now, from this point on, I want you to notice how many times the word spirit and references to knowledge or understanding or mind is made mention to, okay? Revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them, and the same way no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. In fact, maybe you've been there before. Before you received Christ, you thought all this was just foolishness because your mind could not conceive it and can understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Listen to the way Paul concludes this. But we have the mind of Christ. Now, that, that's a tall order, isn't it? How many of you would say today... I think I've got the mind of Christ. But it, it, Paul's not just saying, I have the mind of Christ. Look at me, I've arrived. What does he say? But we, collectively, as followers of Jesus, that we should have the mind of Christ. The Spirit of God that is within us helps us to develop that. But here's the deal. It's a bit of a cooperative relationship. Let me explain it this way. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in us, and that's a wonderful gift of God, the Holy Spirit that comes and dwells inside the hearts and the lives of believers. In fact, we're told that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God himself by the Spirit dwells within us. But when the Holy Spirit moves in, 
There's already furniture in the house, if you know what I'm saying. We have spent a lot of our life putting furniture in our minds, ways that we think. In fact, we have pathways of how we think, and those have been well-worn. In fact, this is why I have spent a good portion of my life, 17 years, ministering to children, because I knew that if I could begin to help them to think differently at a young age about God, maybe they wouldn't have to unlearn all these things that we as adults have to, have to unlearn. But when the Holy Spirit moves in, he notices, hey, there's a bunch of stuff in there. There's some clutter in the house. There's some walls that need to be busted out. There's some ways that you do things that need to be corrected. But we have spent years, here's the challenge, we have spent years furnishing this house. We've been to every garage cell, rummage cell, every flea market. We've been to every blowout cell, this side of hell, and we fill our mind and our, body, and our heart with all of these things that have, been, that have become the way that we've dealt with life. And some of this, many of them are lies that we tell ourselves. And so we have all these ways, but the Holy Spirit moves in, and guess what? The furniture's still there. And the Holy Spirit doesn't come in and, and just bust over the house and knock it all down and, and build a fresh house. I wish he did that. But he comes in. In fact, the Holy Spirit's kind of gentlemanly. The Holy Spirit comes in and begins to say, um, hey, Kelly, we, gotta, we really got to do some redecorating in here. I mean, you ever been to somebody's house and you looked around and thought, this house needs a decorator. I mean, come on, this is just this, they need some help. In fact, there are TV shows that you can now watch when somebody comes in and helps somebody organize their home. They need some help. Because we have these pieces of furniture, these walls, these ways that we've dealt with life that are in there, and the Holy Spirit comes in. And he wants to clean house, but he's not going to take over the controls. We have to be a cooperative party. And that means allowing the Holy Spirit to nudge us, to listen to the whispers of the Holy Spirit within our soul that says, you know what, that way you were thinking about that person, that was wrong. The way you lied to yourself about that, that was wrong. Those things you tell yourself to get yourself off the hook, that was wrong. We need to begin listening to the work of the Holy Spirit, but the truth is that's a challenge for a lot of us because we have spent years furnishing this place. And we have a default approach to everything in life. But this is the house in which the Holy Spirit comes and resides. And this furniture has to be dealt with. This clutter has to be removed. Because the flesh still has a very strong pull. You ever notice that? I mean, we're saved. But man, you still think about things you shouldn't think about once you got saved. It's like, why didn't you just brainwash me, Jesus? That would have been a lot easier. But we still think things that aren't true, that aren't right, that aren't pure. And so the Holy Spirit invites us on a journey. In fact, I love the way that David puts this. It's not in the, in the notes for you, but listen to Psalm 26 too. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. In other words, I know you do this. Remember, David already said, I know you perceive my thoughts from afar. But now he's saying, you know what, I'm inviting you to test, to examine me. I want to work with you and what's happening in my life because I know that I've made a mess of my thought life. I know that I'm a hoarder when it comes to the way that I think. And there's piles and piles and piles of stuff you got to deal with. But the reality is you don't have to stay that way. The way you think right now, the cramped way of your thinking does not have to be the way that you think the rest of your life. 
but it'll take some humbling. Working with the Holy Spirit to begin to deal with these deep-rooted ways that you think. But there's hope because we can experience what Romans 12 talks about, a renewing of our mind. But how's it happen? Well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some ways that we can mind our mind because God has given us this wonderful gift of our mind. But if we don't mind it properly, it can wreak all kinds of havoc. And In fact, like, like you, I've, I've experienced the consequences of my own thought life because they didn't stay inside my head. They worked their way out into my actions, and I've had regrets because of that all originated here in the way that I think. In fact, Jesus deals with this in Mark 7. Again, it's not in the screen for you, but listen to it. He deals with this issue again. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside. So what do we do about it? We mind our mind. So how do we do that? Here's the first one. First step in reminding your mind is to, is to repent. Is to repent. Repent actually means to change your mind. Okay? That's what it actually means, to change your mind. Stop thinking in ways that you know are unproductive and out of line with the kingdom of God and God's plan for your life. You know from Scripture the things God wants for you. You know from Scripture the way God wants you to think. But thinking and doing in your, in your way of living is still producing the wrong results. So what, what happens? i got to go back and think, am I really doing this? Am I, have I really repented in the way that I think? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, Paul says it this way. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, that means before you met Jesus, before you became your Lord and Savior, to put off your old self. So that's intentional, isn't it? That's like a put off, okay? Holy Spirit came and took residence, but i got to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new where? In the attitude of your minds. Be made new here in the way that you think. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And here's the thing. This takes intention, to put on this new self, and, and to have this new attitude of mind takes intention because you know what? He warns us here that we naturally will gravitate toward thinking fleshly and lustly and, and selfish thoughts. That just happens by default. And so it takes intention to put on the new self every day and to be renewed in our minds to give um, God room in the way that we think. It's hard work, though. But it's key number one. Number two is this. Take your thoughts captive. Take your thoughts captive. Now, this sounds very... Straightforward and easy, but we need to take our thoughts captive. Let's talk about what that means. In fact, Paul gives us some setting for this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage wars the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, we have divine power. Now, notice that the origin of that power is not you. Okay? We have divine power within us. It's called the Holy Spirit. Divine power to do what? To demolish strongholds. And then he gives some skin to what these strongholds are. Here we go. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought 
to make it obedient to Christ. Now, in this passage, he uses a very military term, stronghold. A stronghold is basically a fortress. And the purpose of a fortress is to defend you. How many of us know that our thought life often has been a defense mechanism? And we actually excuse away the way we behave by the way we think. And so we give ourselves permission through our thoughts to act the way we're acting, which we don't like the results of, but we've talked ourselves into it. So we defend ourselves with our thoughts to continue living according to the flesh. And he says, knock it off. You've got to take these things captive. You have a stronghold within your thinking that allows you to keep living the way you're living, but it's time to demolish that stronghold. And how do we do it? With divine power. And he uses this term, basically, um, that's like a siege work. You know, if you've ever watched those old movies or even new movies that, that relate to medieval times, they would build these siege works to conquer a fortress. And he's saying that's what we need to do. By the power of God, divine power, to take these thoughts captive to demolish strongholds. In other words, binding those things we used to think about. And it's as simple as recognizing it. Sometimes when you think, you don't pay attention to what you're thinking. So sometimes you got to go, whoa, that thought, that is, that is so against God. I'm going to put that thought captive. Now, how do we do that? Well, we're going to take it now to the next step. Taking a captive is great, but then we still think about it. So what's the next point? Number three, replace your unwanted thoughts with pure thoughts. Most of us don't do this. So how do I do that? How do I practically replace unwanted thoughts with pure thoughts? Well, Jesus told a story that kind of illustrates what I want to, what I want to communicate to you. In, in Luke chapter 11, he, he says this. And it was referring to a man who was possessed by an evil spirit. But look at what he says. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order, which sounds wonderful, right? All of you neat freaks, yay, wonderful. In other words, the house was empty. Okay? Then it goes and takes seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Why didn't this man that Jesus is referring to in the story have and keep the victory? Because he did not understand the principle of replacement. It's one thing to have the evil spirits out, but you need to have something in its place. Now, let's apply that to our thought life. When you desire to stop thinking sinful thoughts, just saying, I'm going to stop thinking sinful thoughts, well, that's almost a tongue twister, say that ten times fast, doesn't make those sinful thoughts go away. Let me, let me give you an example. I want you to think of the number eight. It can be whatever shape your number eight looks like. It could be two circles on top of each other. It could be a figure eight. I don't care. But think of the number eight. It can be purple. Blue, red, number eight. Think of a number eight. Are you thinking of a number eight? Okay, now stop thinking about the number eight. From this point on, don't think about eight. Eight is nowhere to be thought about in your mind. Got it? Don't think about the number eight. How many are still thinking about the number eight? Right, why? Right, because it's, you, you can't just say, I'm going to stop thinking about the number eight when you're thinking about the number eight. But this is what happens. We try to renounce evil thoughts. 
I renounce thinking lustfully about that person. I renounce these lustful thoughts. These lustful and sexual thoughts are wrong and evil, and I, I refuse to think about this thought about that person any longer. I refuse the evil thought. And what are you doing? You're still thinking about the evil thought you're trying to get rid of thinking about. Does that make sense? All right, so let me give you another experiment here to think with. Okay, number eight. Remember, you think about number eight? You all think about number eight? All right. What do you do? I want you to think about your mom instead or think about your favorite person in life. Think about them for a second. Maybe you see them. Maybe it's a moment you had together. Now, where's the number eight, right? See, the point is, a lot of us, we want to stop thinking the way we think, but we don't replace it with something else. And just to beat yourself up and say, stop thinking the way you're thinking isn't going to change your thinking. You've got to replace it. Some of you, you think such terrible thoughts about yourself, then you need to start replacing that with Scripture and start saying, you know what? I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. God loves me. I'm a child of God. You start thinking things that are true. We'll talk about that here in a, minute, in a little bit later. But just trying to push those out of our focus makes us focus on them more. So we need to learn the value and the principle of replacing it and replacing it with Scripture. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing. What I want you to notice is that doesn't say the renewed mind. I wish it did. But it says the renewing of your mind. That means this is a daily thing. In fact, it's a minute-by-minute at times process of renewing the mind. Of not letting that thought that came in, we're going to take it captive, and we're going to Kick it out. We're going to replace that thought with something else that is true. Let me give you an example. Men, some of you, when you look at a woman lustfully, an important thing for you to do is not say, stop looking at that woman lustfully. Okay, that's not going to work for you. But if you could think about, instead, the value of that woman, that she's a child of God, she is worthy of honor and dignity, she's worthy of the one true love in her life that God has for her, and the way I think about her is inappropriate. You replace that thought with the value of that person. Or, if you can't do that, then remember, then put some scripture to mind. I'll let no impure thing come before my eyes. Replace it with something else. See, the point is we don't. We linger in that space trying to think we're renouncing it when all the while we're entertaining it. You've got to replace it. That's part of the renewing of the mind. And then, fourthly, the process of doing that every day looks like this. Begin each day with a renewed mindset. Many of you, you, you don't do this. In fact, Sunday is the time you think about God, and you have God thoughts of Sunday, and then Monday through the rest of the week, not so much. Colossians 3 reminds us the importance of this. Listen to what Paul says. Colossians 3, 1. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden in, with, with Christ in God. This verse touches on something very important. One, it again takes intention. Set your heart on things above. Set your mind on things above. That requires intention. Why? Because the sinful nature is like gravity. And guess what it will always do? Bring your thoughts down to here. Okay? It will always bring your thoughts down. We have to make the intention. Yeah, we're born-again Christians. The Spirit of God dwells within us, but we have to still intentionally choose to set our thoughts 
and set our minds and set our hearts on things above. In fact, your mindset reveals where your heart is set. But where your heart is set is also determining where your mind is set. It was kind of work in tandem. That's why, that's why Paul says, set your heart, set your mind on things above. He speaks about it further in Romans 8 when he says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Friends, it's not rocket science. Let me break it down for you. If you are acting out in ways that are sinful, that means you're also thinking out those ways that are sinful. And when you're doing that, you're living your life with a fleshly mind. And as born-again Christians, we're not to stay there. We're to have what Paul said earlier, the mind of Christ. Well, how do I do that? David gave us a cue when he said this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, I, I believe that most of us, we get up in the morning we get our routine on, which might be showering, eating, get off to work, and you've not taken the time to set your mind for that day. So what happens? You, you go to work, life happens, you're at the house, whatever, stuff happens, but your mind is not set on things above, and so your mind is set here. In fact, some of you premeditate how your day is going to go, but in a negative way. Your mind is set on how terrible your boss is or how annoying your coworker is or how bratty your kids are, and your mind is set there, and guess what? Your day goes according to the way your mind went. But what if you just paused and set your heart and set your mind on things above? Try to, try to just five, five minutes. Try to find five minutes. I know some of you, you're very busy, but... The idea of stopping any longer than five could be hard, but start with five, where you just would pray. Maybe you would read a scripture passage and meditate on that passage. Think about it. Pray over it. And then say things like this, God, I, I set my mind today on you. And as I go to work, I think about seeing my work from your perspective. As I interact with my kids, I think about my kids from your perspective. Help me set my mind and my heart on things above because my mind will continue to be pulled down by the sinful gravity called the sinful nature. So I set my mind on you. And then when you find your mind drifting the wrong way, Lord, I set my mind on you. I do what Paul says. I set my heart on things above and I set my mind on you. And then he gives us, as I close, a verse that helps us. Philippians chapter four. Paul says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, this is a great checklist. Whatever is noble. That means what values and lifts somebody else up. Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If you ran this as a filter over the way you think, most of your thoughts would have to default to the captive pile. Wouldn't it? Because so many of you lie to yourself in your mind. You say things about yourself that you know is totally against what God thinks about you. I know God says that his thoughts are not our thoughts, but God thinks way better of you than you think about yourself. He does. We've got to take those things captive. How do we do it? We use Scripture. 
Maybe some of you in the morning, you need to pray. Maybe some on the way to work, you need to listen to that Christian station or put on that favorite worship CD and sing your favorite worship song. I'm telling you, there's something about getting your mindset in the right place that your day becomes a different kind of day because your mind is set where it needs to be. So you don't like where you are or where life has brought you? Check where your mindset is. Living undefeated requires winning in the battlefield of your mind. And the good news is you have divine power to do that, to demolish strongholds. Let me pray with you. Lord, this morning, every one of us in this room are people who are very vulnerable in our thought life. And maybe some have continued to just sabotage their own life by the way they think. And I thank you that we're saved. I thank you that you love us. I thank you the Holy Spirit dwells in us. But we need to allow the Holy Spirit to do some redecorating in the way we think and the attitudes of our mind. We need to begin to look at each day with our mindset on the things above. We need to hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against you, but also that we might have an arsenal of truths from Scripture to counteract every thought that is contrary to the will of God. So God, I pray for us. Some people have been just an absolute mess because of the way they think. God, I pray for them right now. That in these moments, they would hear Romans 8 tell them there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray you'd begin... For them to be able to fill their minds with truth from your word, that you love them, that you have a plan for them, to prosper them and not to harm them, to give them a hope and a future, have a plan for them to live victoriously in the areas of the way they think. So Lord, we need the discipline of the Spirit to yield, to be humble. Say, Holy Spirit, we want to check in with you. Help us to mind our mind. And I pray we do that right now. I just pray, Holy Spirit, you would speak to us about the things we think about. We know the pathways of our thought life. We know the common themes that we linger on. And we invite you right now into those moments, Holy Spirit. Speak truth. Help us be people who love you and love your word so the truth of the word can quickly counteract thoughts that come across our mind that are rogue, that are wrong, that are evil. We want to win this battle, Lord, but we can't do it alone. So thank you for your divine power at work within us that can help us. We don't have to keep thinking the way we're thinking. That we can have the victory in our thought life because you've made that possible. Thank you for that today. Maybe some in the room today, you're here and you kind of feel like that alien. You don't know God. Your thoughts are far from God. But today you recognize that maybe the first step for you is to repent, is to ask Jesus to be your Savior. You know your thought keeps getting you in trouble because it keeps working its way out into your actions. And you know that the corruption's inside of you because the Spirit of God is not dwelling in you. The good news is through salvation, He does and He will. And if you want to receive Christ today as your Savior, I'd like to pray with you. And if that's you, just... Just raise a hand and say, Kelly, that's me. I need Jesus today. 
Just raise a hand unashamedly. That's the greatest decision anybody in the world can make. I need Jesus, Kelly. I need to start there. Yeah, anybody else? I need Jesus today. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray right now for all of us. The good news is that you have made this possible already through the giving of your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you came and you went to that cross for us. You died. The finality of death broken when you rose from the dead and you conquered sin. Thank you for that. And Lord, today we know that we confess our need of you as Savior, and when we do that, that you hear us. When we confess our sins, you're faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us. And those condemning thoughts of the enemy saying it's not for you, that you're not worthy of this, those are lies from the pit of hell. And we take those captive and send them right back where they belong. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that you are our Savior. And that by daily choosing to yield to the work of the Spirit, you will renew our minds. But we have to work with you on that. So help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.